guys? Sharon's right. You guys are fun. I'm under the distinct impression that you actually want to be here. That's fantastic. It's not always the case. I feel like in a lot of churches, I'm like, you know, you guys don't have to come. It's optional. It's not a law, but you guys are like, want to be here. This is really, this is really nice. Um, yeah, I've been, I've been wrestling with whether or not to uh, bring something up. I, I'm from Miraville. That's my hometown, which is a, a town just south of Knoxville, uh, home of the University of Tennessee Volunteers. And so I've been wrestling about whether or not I, I should bring up the basketball. Should I, should I talk about basketball the, when I'm here? The day after Tennessee eliminated the Duke Blue Devils and ended their season. And then I thought, that'd be a horrible way to start. I'm not going to say anything. So I decided not to. I'm not even going to bring it up. It's just, we're not, we're not going to do it. Yeah, yeah. That's my, my gift to you. Uh, <laughs> Um, I do hope that uh, you receive from the Lord whatever he has for you today, whether I say it or not. Um, whatever you need the most, I hope the Lord meets you and, and you receive uh, whatever that might be. Um, for Beth, I, it's got to be a nap. Uh, so I will honestly, I will be flattered if you sleep during the message. It says to me, I'm not worried about this guy saying something heretical and I can get what I need the most, which is some sleep. And so please... By all means, there's a row right here you could stretch out. <laughs> That'd be good. Yeah. Let me, say, uh, let me say a quick prayer, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Lord, thank you for your presence in the room. Uh, you're here with us. If there's, if there's even one person who's not aware of your presence right now, Lord, would you awaken them to a deeper reality? Uh, you're here. You're with us. And if you're with us, then, well, that means just about everything, doesn't it? There's no limit to what you might do in this place how you might move in our hearts, how you might stir in this, in our souls, um, how you might heal. So Lord, we ask uh, with all the faith and all the humility we can muster, would you let your kingdom come and your will be done in this room, even as it is in heaven. It's in your name we pray, amen. 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 Uh, so uh, I'm a pastor, I'm here to deliver a sermon, because that's what I do. Um, this is not really a sermon, though. The, honestly, <laughs> I've been asked to hit this topic. Um, I'm not sure it really qualifies. To me, a sermon is when you open up God's Word and you go through Scripture. Um, and I, I mean, I did at least go to school for that, so I feel vaguely qualified to do that. Um, but I'm not even going to open Scripture until really kind of toward the end. And I don't, just for the record, I don't think that's how it should be done. Um, that's just... <laughs> That's just sort of what's in front of us uh, to cover today. Um, I'm actually going to talk more about some historical stuff and some sociological stuff and some anthropological stuff. I am, I am not a historian. I am not a sociologist. I am not an anthropologist. I'm a preacher. I shouldn't be talking about any of these things. And yet, uh, here we are. Um, so we're going we're gonna to dive in. There's, there's kind of a lot of information to come fast. As Sharon said, we're trying to squeeze Maybe, maybe more content into one message than, than probably should be there. Um, so hang in um, as best you can. So uh, first, some historical stuff. There is a, a well-established pattern in Scripture uh, and in church history of what happens in a place 
when there is a genuine outpouring of God's power and presence. Um, and it's a lot of fun <laughs> when that happens, when there's a genuine move of God. And um, throughout church history, um, things tend to move in waves. So we're going to talk about waves uh, a good bit. So a little bit of physics in here as well, something I'm also not qualified to talk about. Uh, but we have some slides with that. Uh, there's a slide with the first wave. When there's when we talk about three different waves, the first of three uh, being Christianity, when there's a, a genuine outpouring of God's presence in a place, then you see the rise of Christianity in this place. We've seen this throughout church history. We've seen it all around uh, the globe. That Really, the ultimate example of this is the first 300 years of church history, which is called the Apostolic Age, uh, when the church really exploded onto the scene. Um, and God just did absolutely remarkable things and established Christianity here on this earth. And, uh, you know, we have a sense, hopefully, a sense of what that looks like, of what that feels like. Um, things like this, a genuine outpouring of God, it's marked by repentance. It's marked by a, a genuine sense of the Lord's presence, love of neighbor, um, uh, a zeal for, for worship and prayer and evangelism, unity within the life of a church, incredible outpourings of the Holy Spirit. It's just, it's a good time all around. It's great when there is a wave of Christianity in a place. The second wave that follows once Christianity has been established in a place is called Christendom. And that's like, that's like the vocabulary word for the day. Like that's the one you want to make sure. That might be a new concept. It's a very, very important concept for us to grab hold of. I'll take a minute to talk about what I mean. Um, Christendom is not Christianity. Christendom is the culture that emerges in a place after Christianity has been the dominant religion for a while, okay? So it takes, it happens over the course of decades and generations, but what happens is some of the Christian values uh, that Christians hold to uh, become normative in a society, and they get sort of baked into the worldview of people who live in that place, interestingly enough, whether they're Christians or not. Because we, the, the values of Christ tend to spread in a place. Um, and so a place can become, even if not everyone there is a Christian, increasingly more and more Christ-like. And that begins to shift the culture. So the culture that arises out of that, the worldview that arises out of that, is called Christendom. You guys with me so far? Oh, good, good. I need lots of feedback. Lots of Just heads nodding will do for me. If you want to shout and wave something, that's great. But just this will do. That, that helps me a lot. And so here's what happens. And, and something we need to understand how significant this is. Uh, we can run past this idea of Christendom and not, not recognize how enormous it is. Um, the basic values that we all hold dear, not as Christians, but as human beings, have emerged from Christendom, from a society that has been truly marked by the love of Jesus. Basic decency that seems like the most obvious foregone conclusions to us were actually really rare and sparse before Christianity became a dominant worldview um, in our society. Things like valuing human life. It, nothing could be more fundamental than valuing human life, and yet before Christ it really wasn't that much of a thing. Um, sacrificing to help the, the weak. Any, any sort of concept that says, actually, might makes right isn't the final law for all things, that, 
that is a, tra to invert that is an enormous transformation. And it frankly never happened until Christ, until the emergence of Christianity and then of Christendom. And out of Christendom, these ideas that we should sacrifice to help the weak, we should seek justice and not just revenge. We probably shouldn't kill people. We shouldn't take people's things. Like those values so fundamental were actually really sparse to say the least until the emergence of Christendom. So put it this way, Christendom arising from Christianity took basic human decency and made it mainstream. Before that, it, it, guys, it just wasn't. I cannot overstate this. In a Christendom, a Christendom society, the values of Jesus begin to lead the culture on many levels. And even non-Christians get something of a Christian worldview. Some of the basic ideas in Scripture become sort of the basic ideas that are assumed by the population there. If you think about it this way, whether you're a Christian or not, you still have in God we trust written on your currency. Because in the United States, we have been a Christendom society. So that's the second wave. Um, the third wave that emerges from uh, Christendom which emerges from Christianity, is societal growth. Um, when the values of Jesus start to get worked into a society, things go better. They just do. Um, the way of Jesus is a whole lot more than just good advice, but it is really good advice. And in a Christendom context, again, whether people are Christian or not, some of the values of Jesus get baked into a society, which means that society as a, lar as, as a whole is less and less going against the grain of the universe as ordained by the creator of all who is good. And the less we go against the grain of the universe that's been established by a creator, um, the better things go as a direct result of that. Um, and so the way that Jesus taught us to live is just frankly a better, more loving, more fruitful way to be human. And so as a direct result of Christendom, again, this all happens over the course of, of decades and generations, but as a direct result of Christendom being established in a society, that society begins to flourish. And we've seen this throughout the world again and again in context after context, there's just nothing like it. Brilliant discoveries are made in, in every school of study and thought, quality of life goes up, extreme poverty goes down, you can track it. Arts and sciences flourish, all the things we hold dear because in a society they begin to go with the grain versus against the grain. Still with me? Great, good, that's better, I like it. You're like, that guy's needy, we're gonna have to nod for him. I know, I know. Now, I wanna, I wanna pause here and make a very important and I want you to focus in on the distinction between Christianity and, and Christendom, okay? Christendom is good, okay? It's a good thing. But Christendom is not the point. And Christendom isn't always good. So... Christendom, again, just like any other do dominant ideology in a place, okay, if something is sitting on the cultural throne of a place, then that ideology, that worldview is going to amass an incredible amount of power, incredible amounts of power. Um, institutions are established, influence, money, power, 
all gets baked into whoever's sitting on the throne of, let's face it, the most powerful nation in the history of the world that has enjoyed the most sustained prosperity anywhere else in the world, okay? And that's because it's been thoroughly Christian and because of the emergence of Christendom, but Christendom is subject to being corrupted because it comes with a tremendous amount of power and power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, as you know. And institutions, as much as we need them, as helpful as they are, even Christian institutions, they go sideways. And the influence that is amassed, the power that is amassed in Christendom, this cultural reality can get abused. And people do weird and sometimes full-on despicable things in an attempt to hold on to power. And so with Christendom, a tremendous amount of power, a tremendous amount of influence comes with it, and that becomes corruptible, and generally is. I want to be clear. The things I said before about Christendom being great, like we care about these things, we, we, we celebrate the flourishing that emerges out of a Christendom context because we care about people and their well-being and the things that flow from it. But don't get it twisted, okay? Christendom is not the point. Christendom is not the source of anything. Christendom is, it's, it's just a result. It's an outcome. Um, it isn't always right. It is profoundly corruptible. Everything that is good about wave number two, Christendom, has come from wave number one, which is Christianity. And everything that's bad about Christendom, and there's some stuff, is born out of a distortion of wave number one, which is Christianity, a distortion of our faith and what it means to know and walk with Jesus. And these distortions come mostly at the hands of people who are obsessed with power, power that has been granted largely through the dominance of Christendom. And it's also uh, these distortions of what it means to have life with Jesus have come at the hands of, and I know I'm in the Bible Belt when I say this, but here we go, um, at the hands of cultural Christians who aren't really devoted to Jesus, they just sort of wave the flag. And as a result, they don't actually represent him well in their day-to-day -day lives. The fact is, and once you think about this, and if this makes sense to you, then you know that you understand the difference between Christianity and Christendom. The fact is, lots of people, especially here in the Bible Belt, think that they have been born again, when in reality, they've just been born into Christendom. And that does not a full-fledged surrender to Jesus make. <laughs> okay? All right, so three waves. That's all good stuff. It's all encouraging. You're feeling encouraged? Cool. Let's ruin that now. Let's talk about bad things, talk about bad stuff. Uh, let's talk about waves. Waves come up and waves come down. Yeah, so there's, here we're, now we're going to talk about that stuff. We're going to talk about waves coming down. Um, if you have ever read the Bible, then you know that over the course of generations, Humans have a real tendency to falter in our devotion to Jesus, all right? We're on fire, and then we're not. And we're serious, and then we're not. And we're legit, and then we're not. And we're all in, and then we're not all in. And we see this very clearly on display all throughout Scripture. And you see in Scripture as you read it, because, you know, the, 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 New, the Old Testament uh, covers, you know, thousands of years in its context. And so... Um, you know that over the course of generations, people move away from God, even when they've been just all the way on fire for him. 
Um, and so we've seen that continue here within the last couple thousand years in the history of Christianity. And so we've seen Christian societies emerge, and we have seen post-Christian societies emerge. And so there, yeah, there you go. You got the cue. Um, there's the sad, this <laughs> the, the sad thing that happens. Um, so the second half of wave one is, is when people lose sight of their priorities, they falter in their devotion to the Lord, they, they start to lose the plot. And what happens is, again, over the course of decades and generations, Christianity declines. Um, and then next, just as the rise of Christianity leads to the rise of Christendom, then ultimately, next slide, the decline of Christianity leads to the decline of Christendom. And again, this takes a while. Cultures don't shift overnight. And be very clear, none of this is to scale. <laughs> okay? If you think this is like, I'm trying to be historically accurate, then bless your heart. We're just, these are just broad concepts, right? Not to scale. But it happens over the course of many years, but it happens. And then finally, just as the rise of Christendom leads to the rise of societal well-being, so eventually the decline of Christendom leads to the decline of society um, because when people start again going against the grain of the universe, things don't go as well as they once did. So these are leading and lagging indicators if you're familiar with that kind of language. Okay, that's some of the bad news. We're still holding in? All right, I got more bad news. Okay, this may not be news to a lot of you. If it is news to some of you, we'll do maybe some healing prayer afterwards. This is hard. But Christianity has been in decline in the United States for a long time. Okay? Longer than I've been alive for sure. Maybe, this sounds extreme, but maybe longer than David Tackle has been alive. <laughs> it's a long time. Christianity has been, Dave's become a friend, so I can say that. Or I can't. Maybe he's now a former friend. I don't know. I don't know him that well. We'll see. Uh, it's been in decline for a while. For a while. Uh, on a national level, we have seen, because again, in a Christendom context, there's, a, there's a, lot of, a lot of power built into Christendom. And so we've been able to push back against this and say, no, let's not let this happen in our context. We don't want to become a post-Christian society. And so we've had these attempts to try to um, maybe this will ring a bell, try to take America back for God, right? And I, I want to be very clear about that. Right on, let's do it, okay? And so, yes, let's do that. And there has been a number of attempts over the last, we'll say, 50, 60, 70 years or so to, to try to make that happen. Let's turn the tides against these trends. And I want to be clear, I don't want to be too critical here, but there has been some really good and beautiful things that have come from that, Okay? really good and beautiful things led by sincere people, okay, with the right intentions. So don't hear too much angst in what I'm about to say. But there has been a major and possibly, I, I think, proven to be a fatal flaw in those responses, that pushback to try to take America back for God. And this is what it has been. Ultimately, those responses, those movements to push back we're not actually, stay with me, about the re-emergence of Christianity. Instead, they were actually about a desperate attempt to protect and preserve 
Christendom. Please let it, let it sink in. The difference between those two is unbelievably important. Even though there were many, many sincere, godly, wonderful people involved who were genuinely seeking the Lord, I don't want to discredit that which is good. I want to honor what's good. But it did not change the fact that at the heart of movements like the moral majority or the Christian right, for example, there was a desperate attempt to hold on to societal and institutional power, money, and influence, all of which are in decline because Christendom is in decline. Now, I can tell by the deathly silence in a, in a pretty audible room <laughs> that I just said something that was sort of adjacent to politics, and I understand that's, that's like a third rail thing, and, and Beth, I hope I don't break anything. I'm leaving afterwards anyway, so I'm going to be fine. <laughs> but I hope I don't cause any problems for you. Um, so I, I talked about things, that, again, that, that run a bit adjacent to politics and tend to run toward um, the right. I want to be very, very clear. I'm not attacking the Christian right. I'm not. Guys, we'll just take those two words, Christian and right. Um, I just all the way full stop desperately want you to be a Christian. Okay? So I'm in for that. And look. If your politics put you on the right, then great. Great. Be on the right. Be on the right as a, someone who is firmly committed to Scripture. That's fine and that's good. And when it comes to like where you stand left or right on political issues, I'm trying to say this with as much love as I possibly can, but I so profoundly don't care. I don't care where your politics are. I don't care if they line up with mine. Truth is, I don't know if they line up with mine because I don't know what mine are. I don't have any answers so I don't have anything under here going, well, let me just slide in what I think is politically accurate. I don't know. I don't know what we should do. I don't have any solutions. I just love Jesus. Can we just walk with Jesus and believe in the authority of Scripture and then see where we land? But I know that doesn't work. You need like a real, you know, we need a political system. I'm not opposing any of it. Okay, I just, I really don't care. I'm not making a political statement. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. And if you think that I am, then you're definitely missing all the way the whole entire point, okay? I'm not going there. On the contrary, what I am saying, what I'm actually begging us to see, is that the church should be about Christianity and not about Christendom, which is why the work of the church should never be hijacked by politics. With me? Cool. Cool. I'm not, I'm not making any kind of a political statement. Again, I really don't know what we should do about anything. I, I just, the church needs to get out of politics and stay out of politics and get back to our first love, which is Jesus. Um, and I just want to remind you that Jesus, all throughout his ministry, was surrounded by people who were pleading with him. They demanded him to get into politics, and he refused every one of them every single time. He was about a bigger kingdom. He had more important work to do, and I think we do too. And look, in your own life, be as political, be as be a political activist if that's what God is calling you to do, and he very well may be calling you to do that. But let's not let those ideals and ideologies colonize the church. Okay? Okay. So here's, here's what I see going on. I, I think this is pretty clear. Um, in about a thousand different ways, in response to the collapse of Christendom, um, in about a thousand different ways, I see people trying to create fear among Christians. Um, and trying to generate panic, 
okay? If someone is able to generate panic in you, then they are able then to manipulate and control you, okay? If people are trying to make things sound worse than they really are, they're doing that so that they can manipulate you to their own ends. Don't fall for that. That's a rule. That's always how it works, okay? I see a tremendous effort to create fear among believers in the United States that goes essentially like this. We used to have more power. We used to have more influence. We used to be at the heart of culture. We used to be at the heart of education. Billy Graham used to fill stadiums. We watched the Andy Griffith show. We had prayer in schools. We used to be better represented in the halls of of power, and now we're losing our power, and we're losing our influence, and therefore, Christians, you should all panic about that, okay? That's the narrative, guys. Please don't fall for that. Please don't fall for that. You got to see this. If your hope is in Christendom, if your hope is in the holding on to cultural influence, if your hope is in the money and the power and the institutional control that comes to Christians when Christianity is the dominant worldview, if that's where your hope is, then yes, by all means, panic. I mean, just now's the time. You can run out screaming and be like, that's valid. I get it. It is time to panic if that's where your hope lies. In fact, you're late. You should have panicked decades ago. going to go ahead and quote uh, Pope Frank. Y'all know him. Uh, he said this in December of 2019, and he has a pretty unique perspective, the Pope. I think that's fair to say. He said this, Christendom no longer exists. It's gone. It happened first in Europe, and then it happened in the United States. And it might be true, I think, that in the Bible Belt South, it held on longer than it did anywhere else. But it's gone here too. It is. The final blow to Christendom in Europe was World War I. In many parts of the United States, especially outside of the Bible Belt, uh, the death of Christendom came with the fallout uh, from the 1960s and the social upheaval at that point. Um, anthropologists, sociologists would agree on this. It's too early for there to be a consensus built on this third thing, so this is just entirely Aaron's speculation. You can take it or leave it, and you should probably leave it. But in the Bible Belt, I'm convinced that the collapse of Christendom finally happened here as a result of the combination of social unrest and COVID-19 that we have experienced in the last few years. Okay? And now, I think we'll go next slide here, as Christendom continues to decline, our society, I I think, I think, I'm not trying to sound any alarms or make anybody panic, but I I think that our society is increasingly showing its fragility. We are, as a nation, I think, beginning to go against the grain of the ultimate truths of the universe. And as a result, I think think our society is starting to decline. Now, I know, I know, gosh, we live in a, a, like, this is a wonderful place. 
and I'm so grateful to be here, and I don't want to be anywhere else, man. And the truth is, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe things aren't starting to decline. And you notice I put the dotted blue line, like, pretty close to the peak. And the truth is, I have no idea. I don't know. This is Aaron's best guess that maybe is broadly accurate to some degree, okay? But to my eyes, I think the cracks are beginning to show. And I'm seeing this, as I would diagnose it, I would say particularly through what I'm seeing is just a profound emotional immaturity in our society. And so in that, I'm not not talking about the pandemic. I'm not talking about inflation. I'm not talking about global unrest. I I, I am talking about just a deep emotional fragility, a growing contentiousness, a culture of outrage. Do you guys feel that? A culture of outrage? Do you feel the shift in the last few years in that regard? I, that's what I'm talking about. So, again, look, if your hope is in a thriving society, then you can go ahead and panic now, too, okay? If you've really placed your hope in things and everything being up and to the right in the United States, then probably you can go ahead and panic now as well. If your hope is in Christendom, you should have panicked a really long time ago. However, if your hope is in Jesus... I don't think this is hyperbole. I think you should be bursting with anticipation. And this is, this is why. Waves. What did we say? Waves come up and waves come down. And then what do they do? They go up. So next slide. Um, I just, let's think about where the, the dotted blue line and, and the, the, the X are here. Um, if we're starting to see the decline in society, the third wave, then that puts us again maybe about where that blue dotted line is, um, and and so be it. Maybe you agree, maybe you don't. It's all right. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But if we were to follow that dotted line all the way down to where to the red line where it intersects Christianity, and we consider the state of genuine, committed faith in Jesus. I'm not talking about the cultural stuff. I'm from the Bible Belt, too. I know how this goes. I'm not talking about people who check the box marked Christian, but they actually have no relationship or life with Jesus. I'm talking about people who are fully devoted to their king. They have pledged their allegiance in full and surrendered to him as Lord. What I'm saying is maybe that is getting kind of low. It's probably not where I put the dotted line. It's somewhere else, I'm sure. But I, I, it's, I think it's getting pretty low. And that's a bummer. <laughs> but what do waves do? They rise, they fall, they rise again. Um, you can take my word for it, or you can read the Old Testament. But either way, I'm telling you, this is how it works. We turn from the Lord, and when we start to feel the pain of those choices, we turn back. And I think we are starting to feel the pain of those choices in our country. And the pundits and the talking heads and the outraged voices, they would tell you that it's time for us as Christians to panic. And it's time for us to put all of our effort into propping up what's left of Christendom. I'm telling you that's wrong. We don't serve Christendom. We serve Jesus. And we don't need... We don't need to prop up Christendom. It's an outcome. 
It's an overflow of people genuinely walking with Jesus. That comes along the way. If we're trying to prop up Christendom and hold on institutional power, then what that means is we're looking backwards and that's not the way society moves. What we actually need is another outpouring of God's spirit. We need the next wave. We need the next wave. And I, I know I've said a lot of things that are really kind of a bummer, okay? But again, I don't think this is just hysterical optimism. I really, I really don't. I think we're finally now in a position to receive the next wave of God's goodness and the next outpouring of his love and spirit. I think that's real. I know it's been a rough few years, man. And, and, and again, I've been talking about, you know, cultural decline and the decline of Christianity. And, and a lot of Christians are reeling right now, going, man, what is going on? What is up and down? Things are really different a decade ago because they were really different a decade ago. That's a reality. And I think people are asking questions like this. Is this storm, this sort of, this cold snap that we're experiencing now spiritually, is this a blizzard? Is this a winter? Or is this an ice age? What is it? And I, I want to be clear. I don't know. And I don't want you to give the impression that I do know. I don't know that this is what's next. I don't know. I'm just saying, I think the stage is set. And there's a trend to how Lord, the Lord has moved throughout revival history. And all of the things you look for, all of the markers are aligned. Okay? Like, I, we don't know. Okay? Like, we don't know. Like, maybe what started in Asbury was the beginning of, like, the first few drops of the next big wave. Maybe it's the beginning of the third great awakening. Or maybe this is the beginning of a new dark ages. We don't know. Either way, we're the people of God. God has not fallen off of his throne. His kingdom is advancing. He has a plan to renew all things. And it is our job to join him in the renewal of all things. I've got so much hope and anticipation that it's time for this. Either way, I'm all in for whatever Jesus tells me to sign up for next. So with that in mind, all right, God hasn't fallen off of his throne. Let's finally read some scripture. I feel like a pagan. Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 4. I really am. I'm, I'm wrapping up. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, starting with verse 3, NIV, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. I don't even have to ask you. I know that you feel that happening in our context, right? That's a reality. Now, here's what's going on. When things, things like that happen, what we just read about um, happen when... Uh, Things are destabilized when, when society is, is shifting and people get really scared. And when people get scared and they're feeling lots of change, the way we've experienced the last few years, people get really adamant and they, they get desperate and they start grabbing on to anything that seems solid. Okay? Anything at all. And what that means is ever wilder and crazier ideas and ideologies and worldviews begin to emerge and are given consideration. You guys, anybody you love signed up for some pretty bonkers stuff lately? Like some people holding on to some pretty fringe ideas that seem to be popping up, holding on to basically itching ears, looking for what they want to hear. It feels like people are going mad, and sometimes they are, okay? 
Lots of instability in our society. Lots of panic and anxiety that comes from it. I just want to say this as a quick pastoral note. Do not blame or attack the people around you for doing this. They're terrified. Their ground is shifting. They're trying to hold on to anything steady in the midst of an earthquake. Okay? Yes, it is upsetting. Yes, it is devastating when people you love start grabbing on the far-fetched ideas or suddenly a political discourse that you used to be able to have at a family gathering, now people are out for blood. You can't even talk about it anymore. I know people, lots of people, who just canceled family gatherings. We can't do it anymore. People are at each other's throats. We've seen so much loss of relationship and dissidence and contention. It's that outrage culture. When people panic like that, Don't blame them or attack them. They're doing what terrified people do when they don't have a real anchor. Do not assume malicious intent, even if they're acting maliciously. They're afraid. They're trying to hold on to anything in an earthquake, okay? So we have to be a beautiful contrast to that. So let me read you another verse. We read verses 3 and 4. Here's verse 5. But you... Keep your head in all situations. You, keep your head in all situations. You, I'm trying to make eye contact with as many of you as possible. I want to grab all of you by the face and just say, you, you, child of God, you, you have a reason to. You, while everybody else is losing their heads, you keep yours. Keep your head In all situations, keep your head in all situations. Keep your head in all situations. I'm going to keep saying it. Keep your head in all situations. Keep your head in, keep your head when people around you are losing theirs. He goes on to say, endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Keep your head in all situations. Keep calm and carry on. Which is just a way of restating, keep your head in all situations. Guys, of course people are panicking all around you. That's the way of things in times like this. But not you. Not you. Why? Because you're a Christian. That's why. And because everyone else has all this anxiety and they have nowhere to cast their cares and anxieties. But you do. You do. So when everyone around you is panicking, you stay calm. Keep your head in all situations. Guys, if it is the beginning of another dark ages, we're okay. We're the people of God. We're the redeemed children of God. We know how the story ends. We're okay. And when the contention and frustration grows and builds around you, you can still be okay while everyone else around you is losing their heads. You keep yours in all situations. I don't know if I've said this yet. But keep your head in all situations. I'm so on fire for this. Who wants to get matching tattoos? Who's in? Right? I I think right around our necks. Keep your head in all situations. Keep your head in all situations. The great luminary Ted Lasso, some of you are familiar he said, there are two, pan- two, two buttons I never hit, panic and snooze. It's good advice. <laughs> snooze if you want. Don't hit that panic button. Okay, wrapping up. Uh, I, I've, been, I've been talking about the collapse of Christendom. Um, I'm trying to convince you not to panic about that. 
because Christendom is not the point. You're going to have to remind yourself of that about 20 times a day because Christendom is, comes with some pretty sweet things for Christians. Okay, It's not the point. I'm trying to get you not to panic about that, but you might really be struggling with that. That's a tough pill to swallow. Maybe this is a new concept to you. And it would be reasonable for you to ask, Aaron, why would God let that happen? Why would God let Christendom fall? That seems like such a bad thing to happen. Well, here's my answer to that. And honestly, you you can take it or leave it. You may not agree. Christendom fell because it was defiled. That's why. Because in an attempt to hold on to institutional power and control, it had rubbed shoulders with so many foul things that it barely even resembled the teachings of Jesus because of a million compromises along the way. And so when people have prayed, God, and they don't say these words because that's not how people talk, but when essentially the prayer has been, God, please save Christendom, I think the Lord said, why would I do that? It's defiled. Christendom is using my name in vain. Christendom has ascribed so many nasty, evil things to Jesus. Why would he protect that? And so I get this kind of a bummer. But I would like to submit to you, and I really, for what it's worth, I believe this down to my toes. It is not bad that Christendom fell. Because cultural Christianity has not been representing Jesus well at all. Christendom has been lying to the world about who the real Jesus is. And America didn't reject Jesus. It didn't even reject Christianity. It rejected Christendom. And I think it was right in doing so. But what that means now is we have an incredible opportunity to stand out, remarkably so, as kind, reasonable people who haven't lost their heads. Um, I think uh, Charles and company, Charles is in charge. (laughs) I don't know why I said that. Um, my kids are like, I don't, uh, what, I don't get it. Um, <laughs> you weren't alive. Just, it was funny and your dad's awesome. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. We have this remarkable opportunity, provided we don't lose our heads, where everyone else, where we're living in a culture of outrage, to stand out and be the beautiful exception to these gnarly things that are happening all around us. Uh, Dr. John Perkins said this, this generation is the first to turn hate into an, out, into an asset. That's true. We've manipulated and used it to hold on to power. We've, we've used hate to control people in an attention economy. Another message that's happened. So let's say, kindness, reasonableness, love of neighbor, keeping your head in all situations will set you up to be a glaring, beautiful exception to the chaos all around you. And here's the thing. We do live in an outrage culture. People are really angry and they're panicking. Can I tell you something about outrage and panic? It's exhausting like nothing else. People can't sustain it. And when they finally crash and say, I don't even have the energy to be mad or scared anymore, then they're going to go, where do I turn? And they're going to look to the people who were kind and reasonable, the ones who didn't lose their heads and go, I can turn to them. And 
there are nowhere near enough seats in this room. There are nowhere near enough seats in this room to house the people who will come running to this place if this is known to be a place of kindness, reasonableness, and love when people are finally done with the outrage. You stand out as the resounding alternative. I was in, Sharon mentioned that we were on the executive team for a while. I was, I was in uh, a meeting and someone had a prophetic word and it was beautiful. It wrecked me in a good way. Um, it said, in the past, the vineyard movement has been known for the gifts of the spirit. And that's good. But in this next phase, the vineyard will be known for the fruit of the spirit. And guys, in this context, I'm not sure which is more powerful. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, or raising the dead. I'm not sure which would draw a bigger crowd. I'm not sure which would be a greater, you know, apostolic age level outpouring because the, the culture is desperate, desperate for the fruit of the Spirit. And you get to do both, right on with the gifts of the Spirit as well. Uh, speaking of, um, let's seek the presence of the Lord to come now. And uh, maybe some prayer folks can come up. Let me ask you to stand. Let's do that. I gave you, a, I misdirected you there. It's time for me to stop uh, 15 minutes ago. And you guys are still listening, which is really kind of you. Beth, I'm sorry. Just trying to help you have a good long nap. Um, just a couple of things uh, and, and some prayer folks maybe will be around so you can come in and receive some prayer because we're just going to wrap this up. We're going to do this really quickly. Um, did I say don't lose your heads? Don't lose your heads. And if if you say, you know what, I'm actually, I, my world is swirling a little bit and I'm finding it difficult to not lose my head, okay? Guys, I almost lost mine a bunch of times, okay? So if that's where you're at, no shame on you, okay? If that's where you're at, I wanna encourage you to re receive some prayer. Just, just for an installment of the Spirit's power to help you keep your head. You can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. You just can't. Um, second, if you are actively grieving because people you love have lost their heads, I, I believe the Holy Spirit would, would encourage you to make space for that grief and for you to process that grief because if you don't, it's going to come out in other ways, okay? It's going to turn into anger and then you're going to start to lose yours. So um, those are two things I want us to lean into. Prayer that you don't lose your heads and holding space for grief that like maybe you haven't had language to say, I've experienced the collapse of Christendom in the Bible Belt in my lifetime. Like maybe you've never said a sentence approaching that before, but now you've got some language for it. And now that you can say, okay, that's what I've experienced. And I'm just, I'm grieving that as you should. Hold space for that grief, process that grief. And then you won't carry that grief and let it turn into outrage in an outrage culture. See what I'm saying? Anything else you want to add to that in terms of response? Okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a quick prayer. And then hopefully uh, you guys will come and respond how you feel led. We'd love to talk and pray. Um, and then I'll just sort of try to get out of the way. So Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. 
Help us to see what we need to see and hear what we need to hear and receive and accept what we need to accept. Help us by the power of your Spirit to not lose our heads. Help us by the power of the Spirit uh, to not lose our heads, specifically because people we love have are losing theirs. Help us to be the beautiful exception, the anchor, the rock, the unwavering source of kindness and love in a world that needs it more than ever. Amen.